Hello, hello, and welcome to a revenge episode of the Pick and Play podcast. Uh, today we'll be doing a little little backtracking over the weekend's NFL games and then a little looking forward and we'll run through this. Let's start with the uh, most painful, least painful game of the day. With the weekend, my Ravens come through, pull out the stop. Now you get to sit for a year <laughs> and think about what you've done. How does uh, it feel? Yeah. yeah. It it feels terrible. Uh, it, it really, you know, honestly, before the game last week when we were talking about this, I did think that the Titans would win, but I wasn't convinced enough to be, you know, sitting there talking shit the whole week. Yeah. And so I was pretty quiet over the week because I had a feeling. And the, the game actually didn't turn out the way I thought it would at all. I thought that the I thought that the Titans defense would be the reason why they lost. I thought that the Ravens were sure to hang 28 at least. Um, and it was actually the offense that couldn't get it done. And so that was, I don't know, disappointing, I guess. You know, and if, if the loss would have came because the Titans couldn't get a stop, I could have lived with it because that's what I saw all year. Yeah. But lose because they can't move the ball that's just that's not something that i saw all year and this team just didn't look like the team that i watched this season no and look a big part of that uh we were texting back and forth i said you know the number one thing i thought was lamar's turnovers um and when we look at it he has one turnover it's a whole look the first quarter of that game i i turned i put my phone down I I was like you I can't. Me and said it was over at that point. It was. I, said, eh, I, I know. So. Cause I had seen I saw that exact game two other times, four other times if you count the Chiefs games. I'm like, man, Lamar, what the fuck? Like that pick is so bad. That's one of the worst picks I've I've seen in a while. Thank God the Steelers came along and been through four grosser picks. Uh, but but Lamar leaving that ball just out in the middle of the field was awful decision. Not pressure, just got rid of it. Um, and then when I saw that pass and, and I saw that interception in the first quarter, my first thought after seeing that pass was, "Oh shit! If this is what you're doing, yeah, then, yeah, then this is gonna be a dub." But he really settled in after that. He settled in. A big part was though. I said that you know we were texting. I said the number two key is Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams. How do they control the front of that line? We didn't have them when we played you the first time around, and we kind of got worked over for it. Uh, Derrick Henry gets completely shut the fuck out. The Ravens crushed that line of scrimmage, basically pushing the line back two or three yards into Derrick Henry's lap almost every play. Uh, we actually saw Vrabel and Derrick Henry having a long discussion after an offensive series where Vrabel followed Henry all the way back to the bench, and they kept talking, and both looked irritated. Rightfully um, so, yep. because I think that you can tell, you can always tell when Derrick Henry is playing aggressive and when he's kind of playing tentative a little bit, yep. and I felt like on Sunday... After a few of those runs, you know, where he's getting stuffed in the middle for no gain or one yard or two yards, it kind of started looking like he was chasing the home run and he wasn't really taking, you know, he wasn't taking the three or four yards on a, on a first down or a second down. Instead, he's, he's searching for the long run and he's getting nothing. Nothing. You know, because he's not hitting the hole with any conviction. And I'm sure that's what, what Vrabel was getting on his ass for because I could see it from my couch. Yep. 
And I think Derrick Henry goes back and goes, look, they're in the backfield. <laughs> the line of scrimmage is three yards back. I'm getting the ball. I'm making a move towards the line. And there's there's two Tennessee jerseys and two Raven jerseys on me. Um, it Really, I think the story of it was an absolutely dominating performance by the Ravens' defense. Uh, you really give up, minus that Lamar pick, you gave up 10 points to one of the highest scoring offenses. Uh, Lamar, you could watch Lamar tighten up through that game at times too. Uh, so I'm interested to see how he goes with that. Really what I think is his biggest monkey on his back right now. That's gone. Ravens move on. Now we go to Buffalo, which, uh, I mean, fuck. What a fucking, uh, destiny arrives moment for me here. I've got Josh Allen, who I just can't stand uh and then thrown under a bus over and over, over and over and, and now here we go uh so before we transition into that colts uh buffalo game and kind of a preview of what we're looking forward um how do you feel this team looks going back into next season uh any real adjustments or you're like hey we just need to be healthy you had humphreys davis both out uh, the line was severely mangled. Uh, it, for me, I think this is a just add a little more depth, get healthy, use that little bit of luck, and, and this team should be a playoff team again next year. Right, I feel the same way. I don't feel, you know, after this loss, I wasn't deflated thinking, oh, well, this was our window, it's over. And I think the Titans still have a pretty, you know, a pretty decent window in, in terms of this roster. It's not a really old team. Having Davis and Humphreys would have helped, especially with Derrick Henry getting locked down. You know, the, the Ravens' defense was able to kind of key in on A.J. Brown, and at that point, you know, Tannehill is good, but he's not a world beater. You know, he's not gonna yep. he's not gonna go for 300 yards throwing to the fifth string mm-hmm. receiver. So yeah, just health. Having Taylor Lewan, our All Pro left tackle, would be nice. Uh, so, yeah, if this team is healthy, I expect them to be back next year. I know Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, whose name has been super hot with pretty much every vacancy. Yep. He's probably not going to be back, but I think that's fine. You know, Arthur Smith, the, the offense really wasn't that crazy. You know, it wasn't that – it wasn't a McVeigh. It wasn't a – it wasn't a, a, a LaFleur or anything like that, you know. It, it was nice, but it's really hand the ball to Derrick Henry and run play action. Like, yep. I'm sure that we should be able to find an offensive coordinator that can kind of keep that philosophy going. So uh, going into next season, I feel good. I, I hope that this offseason isn't going to be a waste of an offseason like the last one was because the Titans got nothing from the 2020 offseason. No. So, yeah, uh, some some worthwhile signings and some draft picks that actually contribute, and this team should be right back. I expect them to have double-digit wins again next year and be right back in the same place that we are. I agree. Well, hopefully further, though. I agree, especially with all the Deshaun Watson shit going around. What a fucking lump that thing is. Uh, Please get Deshaun Watson out of the AFC South. I would love that. How about out of the fucking AFC? I don't even want him anywhere near me. Get a good young quarterback over in the NFC. What is this? Can the NFC just not draft young quarterbacks? I don't get it. Who are the best quarter young quarterbacks this year? Uh, it's Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. Okay, NFC, what do you have? Kyler Murray? Great. He's, he's 5'10", uh, completely collapsed towards the end of the year. 
had weapons. So, you know, I, I, I don't really know what the end goal is there in the NFC. So get him out of the AFC South and move him to the NFC. Maybe to a McVay. Um, as we continue through, I don't have a whole lot to talk about when it comes to Tampa Bay and the Washington football team. Huge props to Heineke for stepping up, stepping in there, and, and delivering at least an entertaining game. But really all eyes forward to Tampa Bay Green Bay, which we've already seen once. Or Tampa hey, man, Bay uh, New Orleans. Your, your asshole had to have gotten a little tight yeah. in that Washington game because there was a brief moment there. I want to say it was early fourth quarter where it was a one-score game and Washington's getting the ball back. And I know that the Tampa fans, you know, I, I have many Tampa fans in my life, and I, I wasn't really speaking to them during that game, but I imagine that they had to been sick to their stomach seeing that. And so when you see Heineke uh, almost pull it off, what do you think about the Bucks' chances going forward? Because they, to me, I think that they should be considered a Super Bowl contender. But if Heineke is going to make it a close game, then what are we doing here? Uh, they're going to get bounced again this weekend, in my opinion. Uh, you think the Saints just have their number? I just think the Saints are a better team. Like, when you look at their... Like, the biggest takeaway for me was the Tampa Bay offense still looks a little disjointed. You need to just let Tom Brady run that whole thing. Two, you have no real running game. I mean, uh, I actually did incredibly well on... I did incredibly well gambling and FanDuel this weekend. Uh, I finished the weekend with plus seven and a half units over the two days. Um, I hit almost every FanDuel. And one of the big things, one thing that makes it easier for me during this FanDuel time is you, you, I've eliminated most of the stupid fucking coaching. So the random game, the random player that has a big game is more easy to map. And that all ties back to when it comes to Tampa Bay. You know, they don't have any running backs. They're stuck with Fournette. And I think they're so terrified of Rojo fumbling the ball that even if he's 100% healthy, he's just not going to get many carries. So this offense is playing scared in a way that they don't want to turn the ball over. They'll just leave it to Tom. Tom's 43 years old, and the defense has shown a propensity to just leak at times. Just leak. Like, Heineke. The last defense hasn't been that great all year. No, they really. have been talking about it all season. They haven't done anything super well all year. Let's be honest. The defense is like a perfect B, B minus. Right? Like, that's just what they feel to me. So, um I look at that scenario and I go, okay, I really think the Saints the Saints defense does a good job here and kind of closes them out and puts them away. Um, I don't expect anything crazy. I, I think the defense, the Saints just hold Tampa and check most of the game. Tampa does a couple things right, turns the ball over once, gets frustrated, Bruce Arians gets fired after the season. I would like to see Tampa go to, to, go to AB a little more in this game because I – if you watched the last game, I know you watched, but for the listeners, if you watched it, then you saw Brady feeding Chris Godwin pretty often. And yep. I know Chris Godwin is one of their top weapons. He's a great player. I really like Chris Godwin. But I don't know if it was that he maybe had some first playoff game jitters. I don't know what it was, but he dropped quite a few balls. Yep. And Antonio Brown looked like Steelers Antonio Brown out there so I would like to see them maybe shift some of those targets away from Godwin and feed AB because AB has been there I know he hasn't been to a Super Bowl but he's been in big games yep and so if, if you're Brady you gotta think that in this matchup maybe you lean a little bit more on AB I don't know what do you think about that 
I think that uh, you're gonna you are going to see this game become a Tom Brady game. Like I said, I think that you just need to feed the ball exactly to where Tom wants to run the ball. Like wh- whatever Tom wants to do. I, I hearken back to when it felt like Peyton Manning called every play. Tom Moore was the offensive coordinator, but Peyton Manning called every play. That's exactly how I feel here. Just let Tom Brady. If you're gonna have any chance, you're gonna have to let Tom Brady run it. That's that to me is the most important piece. So, um, and then with the Saints, you know the Saints mop up uh, Chicago, get Chicago out of the playoffs. That makes sense for everyone. They should fire house there, um, and and really a game that the Saints never even gave a shit about after like five minutes. So, uh, did you watch it on Nickelodeon? Did you watch the slime no, illusion? No, no, I didn't. I did see that they were streaming on Nickelodeon, yeah. but I, I did not watch that stream. No, I did. did you? I watched the entire game on Nickelodeon. The whole thing. I was checking out the product. Um, first, let me just say, no one markets better, no one, than the NFL. You you just basically so there. Here, I want to break this down a little bit. Um, basically, the NFL has decided that they're just going to market their product because it gets enough views on any channel to dominate any channel. I think 38 of the 50 most watched tele- live television events uh, happened were the, that happened in 2020 were NFL games. So the NFL crushes everyone in every way and everything. So they go, hey, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this on Nickelodeon. Okay, now this does a couple things. There was a there was a segment of Twitter that said, I don't really like this Nickelodeon thing because, you know, I grew up in a family where my dad or my mom taught me football, right? They, we watch the game and they ask questions. Yes, the NFL is doing that, but on a kid-friendly channel with kid-friendly thoughts to keep your kid entertained. So while you're teaching them, they're also engaged. Uh, this is supposed to be a two-pronged effort. Families, talk to your kids about football. Talk to your kids about drugs in school. Talk to your kids about football in school. That's exactly what this is. It's unbelievable marketing. Let's just put it on Nickelodeon. Do a bunch of SpongeBob shit. Slime the end zone. Have some uh, younger reporters get a chance to get in here. And, and you know, sideline reporters, uh, in-the-box personalities, get in here. You know, stretch their wings a little bit, stretch their legs, get this moving. I think this was all around an unbelievable success. And while it wasn't the uh, prim and polished version that we watch with Tony Romo and Jim Nance, which, let's be a little honest, that's the best announcing crew you know that they have. So uh, putting it up against that kind of sucked that you miss out on that top tier knowledge if you're going to watch the Nickelodeon side but if you're a dad or a mom who's really into football and your kids you're like hey we're putting on Nickelodeon the kids instantly engaged and then when they're like well what's happening what is this the football and you're like yes and they got the slime going uh they had a bunch of graphics going around the field that were kind of unique it was a first swing I've never seen any other big franchise try to do anything like this so it was very aggressive and from my from my perspective a huge success. So, I thought it was good. I thought it was great for kids. I thought it was great for adults. I liked it all the way around. Yeah, I think it, it is a good move on the NFL's part, especially in a time where, you know, I feel like parents are moving away from football, at least away from encouraging yeah. their kids to play football. Yep. Putting your shit on Nickelodeon is genius. Genius. Make your kid watch it. Your kid's going to be like, yo, this is cool. Mom, I want to go play this. Right. It's a genius like, I, move. I get, I get why they went with Nickelodeon. It was a smart move. Yep. 
We'll see if they continue to do things. I expect other people to branch out in similar ways. All right, let's run through real quick the last uh, couple teams here. So we've really covered most of what happened Saturday. Uh, we have the Buffalo Indy game, uh, which kind of, to me, um, really exposed both teams. Uh, first, Phillip Rivers probably played one of his best games of the year. Um, second, we the Bills really... People, me included, thought they should just roll through Indy. That doesn't happen at all. It's a dogfight that comes down close. to the end. Very I close. close. To calling that upset. Yep. And and really, when you look at it from from afar, I wonder what we're going to get here. Uh, the Ravens are an all-around better team than Indy now going into Buffalo. I think Buffalo should be favored in this game because Buffalo's playing really fucking well, and they're at home. Um, the weather could be a factor here. It's a 50-50 chance of three inches of snow. So that would be incredible to watch a Saturday night game in the snow. Um, I got what I wanted out of the season, which was one playoff win. So I'm kind of looking at this with house money. Um, but Buffalo barely squeaks by Indy. And we really, Baltimore's a better team than Indy all the way around. There was one team that Baltimore beat in the middle of that doldrums of getting beat by Pittsburgh, getting beat by Tennessee, getting covid um, losing to Pittsburgh again. Uh, in the middle of all that, there was one win, and it was Indy, and we beat the hell out of them. <laughs> so I, 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 am, I am excited to think that the Ravens could go into Buffalo and hold that offense down. If you can hold Tennessee down, anything's possible. We'll really have to see. But uh, out of this game, what I take away is when it comes to the playoffs, you're really only a couple plays away from eliminating yourself. And if you can keep yourself from killing yourself, you've got a pretty good chance to move on. Yeah, I honestly, I'd love, I would love to see Baltimore lose this weekend just after seeing them celebrate yeah. the, the playoff win last week. It left a bad taste in my mouth. I would love to watch you guys lose like 42 to nothing. <laughs> but... I do think that the Ravens are going to win for the same reason that I picked the Colts to win last week. I don't think that the Bills are world beaters, and as long as I keep saying this, I'm going to keep looking dumber and yeah, dumber if the yeah. Bills win the Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't think that they're world beaters. I thought that Indy might be able to catch them because they had a strong run game. So, I mean, Baltimore has a stronger running game. Yep. <laughs> and probably a better, if not better, equal defense. You know, and so I, I just think that Baltimore can put them in that position where they got to play from behind. As soon as someone makes Buffalo play from behind, then that's when I want to see what they've got. But they keep coming out and blitzing these teams. So, I mean, if they're not going to play from behind, then we're never going to see their weaknesses. Yeah, the, the Buffalo team reminds me a lot of the Ravens last year. They're very hot. They go in. Now, we didn't. We didn't luck out and get a team like Indy. We got Tennessee, which you guys were also pretty hot, um, and a very balanced team. Uh, this year, Buffalo goes in, kind of takes a side step with Indy. Uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great matchup. Let's run the la last real big note of the weekend. Russell Will too, really, real quick. Seattle's firing their offense coordinator. Russell Wilson is now out of the playoffs. Gets eliminated by a one finger Jared Goff. Best defense in the NFL is unequivocally the Rams. They lock down Seattle. If you're Seattle, I don't really know where you turn. If you're the Rams, find yourself a quarterback, and you're going to be in the playoffs every year. Sean McVay is as legit of a coach as it gets. 
We pointed out the Ramsey DK Metcalf battle before the week started. Yep. Uh, I don't know how the head to head ended, but I know that it didn't end with DK Metcalf doing much of anything. Nope, three catches. Jalen Ramsey once again proven that he's the best corner in the NFL, and I still regret that the Titans didn't grab him when they had the chance. Yep. And then the last game, really for me, the topping, the, the unbelievable topping to this Sunday was Ravens starting to win, and then at the end of the night. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about this. At the end of the night, Pittsburgh versus Cleveland. Now, it is the only bet on Sunday I didn't absolutely run away with. Can I I pause you there? Yeah. So, uh, going into last week's games, I remember that, you know, you're a Ravens fan, and you're sitting high and mighty right now, and rightfully so, but... I know that you were looking at this divisional matchup, and I remember you saying that you can't call this a rivalry because Cleveland's going to get spanked by Daddy yeah. and, and all these things. So what happened? Well, it, you first snap of the game goes over Ben's head into the end zone. Ben and James Conner both look at the ball like it's an explosive. And, and the Browns jump on for a touchdown. You're down 7 nothing. It was so weird. What happens on the next series? Ben throws a pick. We talked about this. What happens when you turn the ball over in the playoffs? Like, it was the same thing that happened to the Ravens. What happened to the Ravens? Well, Lamar goes in, turns the ball over three times quickly, too. Like, it was fumble, interception. Next thing you know, you're looking up, and in the first quarter, it's 28-0. And Ben's got basically, he threw four picks, right? And he had the one fumble. So, five turnovers. Uh, there was that moment where Pittsburgh started storming back on Cleveland because Cleveland isn't that good. You basically just spotted the fuck out of Cleveland, 28 points, and then Cleveland held on for dear life the rest of the way. Um, here's something, to me, this is the biggest takeaway. Pouncey's retired. Ben's all alone. If you're Pittsburgh, Ben costs $41 million next year. If you cut him, it's like $26 million in dead cap. You, you, you have, you're pretty much going to have to run this whole thing back. And, you know, to me, the most, the, the most alarming piece of this was when the – there was a moment where the Steelers had cut the lead to 12, and they just needed that – they just needed one stop. One stop, make the Browns get uncomfortable. Nope, Browns go right down the field on them. No issue at all. Score a touchdown, put it back up 17 point, uh, 19 points – Puts it away, uh, really, and this is early in third quarter, puts it away. If you're the Steelers, your defense couldn't get a stop in the game at any point in time. Your offense turned the ball over five total times. I don't know where you turn right now because you really didn't do anything well. And that was coming off of the other team didn't have their coach. The other team didn't have one of their star linemen. You got no pressures on Baker Mayfield. You so you somehow got outcoached, outplayed at every single level. And you hear the Steelers talk the whole time. Juju goes, same old Browns. You know, at some point in time, Michael Tomlin has to get a fucking grip on this fucking team and can't be a player's coach. Dude, you, this, is, this is now a trend for you where you have players either speaking out through social media programs about your opponent or leaking your locker room. Remember, uh, what was it, Antonio Brown did that live stream from the locker room during uh, Mike yeah, Tyson? So Facebook Live. You are having these repetitive issues from your skill position players 
or they just feel like they can do and say whatever they want and it won't affect the team. And come to find out when your focus isn't there in football, and you know the focus wasn't there. Mike Pouncey's a 10-year professional. Ben Roethlisberger has been in the league for what, almost 20 years? First snap goes over his head. What were you doing all week? Ben, the next series, throws a pick. Ben throws four picks. Your defense can't get a stop. It didn't look like you were prepared at all for this game. To me, the biggest takeaway from the Steelers is, I think you stuck with your whole entire crew, and I'm pretty sure the best you could possibly do was what you did this year. So I don't, I don't even know where your upside is. This is a team staring down the barrel of a miracle and a rebuild. And the miracles, you know, very slim chance to happen. So you're looking at a team that's on the edge of a rebuild, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I mean, the, the Steelers have been in our lives, you know, as a dominant team now for, it feels like, my whole life. Yes. <laughs> so I, I would love to see them take a couple steps back for a little while. To be honest with you, this game caught me off guard because I fell asleep after the Saints game. <laughs> yeah. and I decided I'm going to take a little nap. You know, I'll wake up in time for that late game. And I probably woke up towards the end of the first quarter. And when I wake up, I look at my TV and it says 28 nothing, And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> you know, to be honest, I'm still confused. Because I woke up from that nap like, no way this is real. Does that say 28 nothing Browns? Yeah. It was those so turnovers. Do you, do you think the Browns have a real chance? Do you, no. do you think that they could, no. could they make some noise against the Chiefs? No. Five no turnovers. Like, the game started 7 nothing Cleveland. Then after... Basically, what Cleveland needed to happen was what happened. <laughs> Pittsburgh comes out and essentially spots them. Pittsburgh touches the ball twice. At the end of Pittsburgh touching the ball twice, Cleveland has 14 points. You cannot ask for a worse scenario. You just can't. Five plays into the game, Cleveland's up 14 nothing. By 15 minutes into the game, Cleveland's up 28 nothing. I just don't see how that happens to Kansas City. You would need Patrick Mahomes to do worse than he's ever done in his career. You you, you know what I mean? Like coming off of now essentially two weeks rest for Kansas City and Andy Reid coming off a bye has like the last seven games scored 35 or more points. And that's essentially what he just did. I just find it very difficult to believe that Cleveland's going to be able to pull this off again. I think they already got everything... Part of me believes that when it comes to Baltimore, not Baltimore, Buffalo and Cleveland, they've kind of gotten what they want out of this playoff. Uh, they got the big home win. They broke the long stretch. That's very emotional. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens in the next round. Uh, both kind of got lucky to end their game as well. Um, with Phillip Rivers having two minutes, three timeouts, and only being able to move the ball three yards or 30 yards, which was, Phillip Rivers looked absolutely pathetic there at the end. But um, Cleveland gets spotted 28. So, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, we have... So, now we're taking a look, really, uh, at, at what's coming up. And I, for me, obviously, I'm invested in the Baltimore-Buffalo game. But I, I think we've already talked about that enough. And we've talked about Cleveland-Kansas City. Uh, the one that we haven't really touched on. Rams-Green Bay. Okay? This is the number one offense and the number one defense squaring off. How do you see this going? I think that Green Bay is going to have a little bit too much offense for them. I know that the Rams are the number one defense, but I don't think that this D 
defense is going to be able to hold the Packers. You know, I just gave Jalen Ramsey his props for being the best corner in the league a couple minutes ago, but now he faces who I think might be the best receiver in the league in Devontae Adams. Adams and Rodgers have this godly, like, telepathic connection with each other, and so I don't expect Ramsey to be able to hold him down the entire game like he just did in, in the first playoff matchup against DK. And ultimately, I just don't think that this Rams team is going to be able to score enough points to hang with the with the Packers. You know, they they got Jared Goff with one, you know, with one hand, or they have uh, I already forgot homeboy's name Wolford. Wolford. They got yep. Wolford with a hurt neck. So <laughs> either way, I'm yeah. going with the Packers. Yeah, uh, Aaron Donald a little banged up. Uh, Sean McVay said the Terminator will go. So that was a funny little clip, but I, I think so as well. I think Green Bay I six and a half. I'm going to take the Rams plus six and a half this week. I really like the defense. Cold defense. Um, If Bakhtiari was playing, I'd like Green Bay a little more. But even when Aaron Donald went out, the Rams still dominated the line of scrimmage. I think this is a great fucking game. I think a lot of people are going to um, overlook it. But I'm here to tell you, the the Saturday slate is going to be way better of a slate than the Sunday slate. I think on Sunday we're staring down the barrel of two blowouts. Kansas City and New Orleans blowing out Tampa Bay and Cleveland. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that Tampa Bay is ready to go now or a better team. Um, I obviously am not a big fan of Drew Brees. But when I look at Kansas City and New Orleans, I think they're just going to handle their business. Where I think Baltimore and Buffalo is going to be a damn fine game. And I think the Rams, you know, right now the Rams are playing with all of the house money. All of it. No quarterback. Uh, they just beat their division rival. And here comes Green Bay off a bye. I like it to be close. I just don't think the Rams are going to be able to. I think the thing that we're not going to, we're not really taking a look at that needs to be is I just don't think the Rams are going to be able to get more than 21 points, period, under any circumstance. And I think Green Bay is going to end up around 25, 26. So I think the final score is going to be Green Bay with three touchdowns and two to th- uh, one to two field goals. And the Rams with two touchdowns and a field goal. So 17-23, right in that range. I think these playoff games are going to be a little lower. So I think, the, the to me, outside of my Raven fandom, uh, I think this is the game I'm really excited to watch just from a schematic standpoint. What can McVay put together? And, and honestly, I think this is... Uh, LaFleur is like real first shot at this thing. You know, like uh, you come in last year, you do real well. Now when we're looking at you in, in the driver's seat, hey, this is a very, very good, solid Rams team that's incredibly well coached. What can you do against them with a week off? Um, we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah, what do you think about uh, what do you think about the weather playing a factor here? Because, I mean, if, if it's cold and, God forbid, it's snowy, then I don't think the Rams have much of a shot at all. We just saw a, a Tennessee team that actually does play in the cold sometimes, maybe three weeks ago, completely struggle to, to play yeah. in that snowy, snowy environment. And if they can't do it, then I'm, I don't feel great about Jared Goff and the California boys going into the snow and getting a W. No, I, I agree with you on that front. Now, the biggest difference between those two teams is the Rams are defensive heavy, where the Titans are offensive heavy, where the snow and the unfamiliar field uh, really drag you down as an offense, whereas the Rams are kind of going, well, if you know, I don't really give a fuck about the conditions. Uh, our line is still going to show up and play. We have Jalen Ramsey, and the truth is if Ramsey can lock Adams out, 
The second options on Green Bay are kind of putrid. So you're kind of throwing the ball, hoping that these Al, you know, Alan Lazards are your answer. Um, at, and I just don't know if that gets it done. Um, I, like I said, I, I think that the Rams have a chance to come out and, and continue this magical run they're on without a quarterback. Uh, the whole thing that could really, the thing I'm going to look at is Green Bay's defense, which is uh, just a mixed bag depending on what stat you want to look to. Um, but they can just shut you down. They can't shut you down, but they can hold you down. And if Green Bay's offense is scoring points, that's what the Titans ran into, where the Green Bay's defense held the Titans down a little bit, and then their offense started putting points on the board. But once once that happens and Green Bay gets any type of separation from you, the game's over. I'm just believing that the Rams are going to be able defensively to hold their own and keep themselves in this game throughout. All right, uh, I'm going to ultimately go with the Packers in a two-score game. Yeah, okay. All right, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? I do have one one uh, story. I'm not sure if you saw it or not, but I wanted to bring it to you. Did you see the Miami Herald story about Tua and the Dolphins? Yeah, and honestly, that, well, you know, let's on, when we, <laughs> what Houston's doing right now is borderline criminal. What Houston is putting Deshaun Watson through is uh, when, whenever you want to know just how poor management can be in anything, the Houston Texans are a billion-dollar organization run by a multi-billion-dollar conglomerate in the NFL. They basically decide, universally, Deshaun Watson's a top probably seven quarterback, no matter who you're really talking to. They basically decide we are going to let a church pastor run our team instead of listening to anyone else, and that's Jack Easterby. Now, Jack Easterby is basically a um, con man uh, who, you know, honestly, it's it's insane, but he, he is a little bit like who Donald Trump was before he became president. He, 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 he's not the showman. But he seems to be on everyone's mind. He's always oh, a good person to talk to, uh, strong. Um, it, it, it's all these weird rumors about him. And you're like, I don't understand how any of these things connect. Um, why, is he, why is he running for president? Why is Jack Easterby in the front office of the Houston Texans? He literally was the New England Patriots team chaplain. He, he was a, a man of God, not a man of football. How does he end up in this position? Well, he goes from, and, and really it seems nefarious the way he's moved through, cutthroat tactics, stabbed in the back. Um, he's big friends with Kyle McNair, who takes power. And Jack Easterby slowly works his way up the ranks. He sabotages Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien was the one that brought him over from New England. Bill O'Brien has ties to New England. He basically sabotages Bill O'Brien, talks shit to everyone in the organization, becomes great friends with Cal McNair, puts in his puppets, eliminates the people that could stand against him, and now is the quasi-runner of that team, Jack Easterby. Now, Deshaun Watson tells them, look, I'm going to sign this long-term contract. I just need you guys to listen to me when I say, hey, can we interview X coach, Y coach, Z coach? The Texans say, yeah, no problem. But here's the thing. That's all lies. You're being run by a charlatan. 
Jack Easterby tells McNair, just tell him yes, make him happy, and we'll figure this thing out. McNair goes, oh, perfect. Now, mind you, the Texans are the same team, same ownership group that when they were they were kneeling for the flag, came out and said specifically, we can't have the inmates running the asylum. We aren't talking about convicts. We're talking about football players. Okay, so this is the same team, and now we're starting to see a trend. We get a, uh, a, a white male who is completely unqualified for the job, uh, working his way through the ranks, up through nefarious means, and now is running the Texans as a shadow program. Now, as we tie this whole thing out with the Texans and Deshaun Watson, we're now looking at a scenario where they completely ignore Deshaun. Up and down. They just don't listen to him at all. They don't give a shit. Then they float these ideas, and Miami floats an idea, which you're talking about. That is the funniest thing in the fucking world. Basically, Miami turns around and goes, well, we'll give you everything back that you gave us for Tunsil, but you can give us... You give us your quarterback now. So if that does that, that trade happens. You know, Miami gives up two firsts and Tua for Watson, right? The two firsts, Tua is, Tua is Miami's pick. Then they would be giving back their pick and Houston's pick, which is the third overall, for Houston's starting quarterback, where Houston would then turn around and take that third pick and draft an unknown. That's insane. The whole thing is fucking insane, beginning to end. It is. I'll let you go on that because I love hearing Texas slander, Texans slander, rather. And so I love hearing about how inept that, that franchise is. No hope. No, that's actually not what I was talking about. Oh. A story came out in the Miami Herald today, actually, by, let me make sure I get this guy's name right, Armando Salguero. And I guess they've been talking to Miami now that they've been eliminated. And uh, it comes out that uh, the players didn't really feel that great about Tua. Uh, in this report now, of course, the players remained anonymous because nobody wants to put their name on something like this. Yeah. But uh, anonymous players were quoted as saying that they didn't see any special talent in Tua other than his accuracy. Uh, another player was quoted as saying that he doesn't see in Tua what he sees in the young quarterbacks, the young stars like Allen, Mahomes, and Watson. Uh, and another player said that he thought Fitz gave them a better chance to win and that several players were frustrated with the change in quarterback. So what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that report is, that's something. You know, that's from the locker room, even if it is anonymous. Yeah, I think that uh, Brian Flores invited this when he went back and forth with his quarterbacks and didn't just stick with it. I think it's also the reason why Fitzpatrick doesn't stick around too long. Um, he's too charismatic, and he does... He has... He is such a weird fucking quarterback. First, there isn't anyone with anything bad to say about him. Second, he has these moments that just no one else ever has in their career. Like... The greatest quarterbacks of all time don't have the crazy fucking moments that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. I mean, on that play where they basically save their, their, their playoff lives by beating the Raiders, his helmet is getting twisted around, and he completes a 40-yard bomb downfield. Okay, so when you're a player, you don't always think about every single play. 
you think about either the end result, and when you're with Fitzpatrick, you're either out of the game in the first quarter, which he will he will throw you out of the game, and then you don't really remember it, or you have these incredible heroics. So you, it's weird because you have Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the, the players go, well, you know, look, man, just get rid of Tua. We'll play with Fitzpatrick. We think Fitzpatrick gives us a better shot. The problem is Tua is a young rookie. You got to give him a little bit of time, especially with look look at Josh Allen this year. It could just happen. Get to us some kind of weapon, some kind of offensive line, some kind of running game, and then let's pick him apart a little bit. Um, he had none of those things, and Miami overachieved the whole year. Overachieved. Look, and they ended up right where I said they'd end up, which is great. Uh, but that's that's this is what they are. They're rebuilding. Uh, I don't buy too much into it. Um, I but. It does go with a theme that people were talking about starting with Fitzpatrick over Tua for most of the year. I just don't really see it as a uh, as too big of a thing. Um, Miami, you know, it could go with the rumors that Miami's trying to make that trade for Deshaun Watson, which would irritate the shit out of me, giving a good coach uh, Deshaun Watson in the AFC. But you you really just I don't know. I, obviously, we watch Tua, and there's there's things that we wish he did better. Um, and I think this goes back to, uh, actually, I just found that on Twitter. Um, we talked about this in an early episode with the arm strength, right? We, uh, that's literally called out in this report, is that some players think that while Tua has the accuracy, he lacks the mobility and the arm strength to get it done. Well, that's right what I was saying. That it turns out we're caring more and more about arm strength and mobility than we are about accuracy. And this is another shining example. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been in the league for 100 years. <laughs> cannot, he cannot be causing these controversies. So, I, 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 you know, he will, but I, I just don't know really what to make of it. I don't think it's anything right now. It's something to keep an eye on, but it's just continuity of what we heard out of the locker room all season long, and I think that's one of the reasons why Ryan Fitzpatrick gets bounced around a lot because it's tough to rebuild with a guy that puts up Sports Center top 10 highlight plays every other week. Right, I don't have anything to add there. I just I saw the story right before we started recording, and I thought it was interesting. You yep. know, I, I thought it was worth keeping an eye on, like you say, because if he doesn't ever get control of that locker room, then you can't really be a franchise quarterback. Yep. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. One one quick note, little little fun fact before we get out of here, um, and we'll talk about Andy Reid's coaching tree. And I just want to run through it. There are four teams left in the AFC. Every single one of them is either Andy Reid or directly from Andy Reid's coaching staff. Uh, Andy Reid, longtime special teams assistant, John Harbaugh. Longtime special special assistant, Sean McDermott. And Kevin Stefanski got his start in the Eagles training camp as an intern under Andy Reid. So we are looking at an all Andy Reid AFC playoff going from here on out. So a disciple of Andy Reid's tree will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Just a fun little tidbit. So, all I'm right. Ready. Before we get out of here, one question, and, and all I need is an answer. You don't have to explain. Yep. How many Super Bowls would the Chiefs have to win for Andy Reid to take the, uh, the the crown as GOAT? Seven. Seven? Okay, so it's, it's not happening for him. Never. Never. Okay. Nope. Sorry. Uh, he'd go on a 20-year run with Mahomes here. That can happen. I don't think he's going to coach for 20 more years, but, I mean, if he did coach for 20 more years, then I guess it could happen. Yeah, he's got one one Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances, one win. Um, 
that so right now he's on the same level as like uh Pete Carroll. One and one. Um I like Andy Reid more than Pete Carroll. Uh so maybe I would love to see, look Andy Reid I have a huge soft spot for Andy Reid. For a long time, I thought Andy Reid was a really good coach who just needed a really good quarterback to balance him out. He's got that. The quarterback takes over the, the play calling. Not the play calling. Take, t- takes over the tempo, the thing Andy Reid wasn't any good at. Um, and, and now you have a you, you have the number one seed in the AFC coming off a Super Bowl appearance. So maybe Andy Reid could rattle off two to three in the next five years and then retire, and his name would go up there. His name would go up in, up in, the, up in the hall. Uh, and and not just the hall of very very good coaches that won a couple Super Bowls. This would be in 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 the pantheon. He'd be a top four all time coach. Okay, I just needed to get the answer from the the resident NFL historian here. Yeah, that's where he said. All right, uh, we are going to be bringing you an NBA NBA pod later in the week. As always, remember rate, subscribe, review. Uh, we're going to be. Um, Hopefully breaking down NBA and NFL two a week going forward. Uh, you can find Leo on Pick and Scroll on Twitter. You can find me at Pick and Play 37 on Twitter. Uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Rate, subscribe, review. Stay safe out there. Peace.